0: Welcome, and thank you for joining the Unbiased Label podcast with your host, Zara Karutz. On this podcast, we have real talk with thought provoking conversation at the intersection of industry and academia focused on fashion and culture. This bonus episode is an academic talk on dandyism, which can be considered the original form of street style using style as agency. Dandyism's historical roots creates a myth of authenticated personal identification. The word myth is not an untruth, but rather a complicated system that theorist Roland Barthes describes as a form of communication. Please join me as I explore the dandy as a fashion innovator of street style. If you love fashion and culture, and geek out over fashion theory like me then this talk is for you please engage with your thoughts afterwards on social media or with a personal voice note now on to the talk discussion, or this talk rather, we will explore the idea of dandyism as the original form of street style and how this relates in contextual authenticity in today's era of the street style. So we're going to look at the creative expression which positions itself within society. Today, uh, street style has become almost the norm to the fact that it is represented now often within high-end luxury fashion brands as we see with Balenciaga, Burberry, Dior. So, to understand the street style, one must first understand the genesis of street style within the development of fashion cities. So, if we look in the 19th century in the streets where the gaze of the flaneur took place, this term flâneur was coined by Charles Baudelaire. This time, the rise of the middle class brought new wealth. So the streets were actually an open display of the conspicuous consumption with fashion taking on a very important visual tool of communication through the role of the spectacular and the gaze of the visible social status. This idea of being fashionable belonged in the context, mostly in these cities that are coined fashion cities, where cultural capital was rich with access to, not just fashion, but art, music, literature. So during the turn of the century, George Simmel viewed this metropolis as an essential development of modern culture as described in fashion that changed the world, quote, to truly be a fashion capital, a city needs to tick off a few boxes. It requires fashion infrastructure, the business and the artisans that support the creation of fashion. It needs a thriving design scene, so fashion designers, creatives, artists, And it also must exert international influence. So often influence is tied to the city's overall power and economic muscle and involves this sort of city being a leading cultural hub. So this notion of fashion capital is seen with understanding of New York, London, Paris being at the top typically, Rome, these westernized cities that create the the leading way, if you will, of cultural influence on a global scale. And today this notion is sort of questioned and it appears outdated, it's a very colonialized viewpoint. And many people in academia and fashion say, is there still a need for fashion capitals? What are they? And is this outdated, colonialized approach to fashion biased in the sense that it doesn't recognize the rest of the global platform, which clearly are major fashion players? If we look at India, for example, and Africa, where the culture and the fashion is so rich and has and continues to influence the rest of the world, this notion of a fashion capital really begs debates, And one that I encourage having because this is a hot topic right now, not just in academia, but in fashion in general. So within these fashion cities, the men's suit... Dated back to the street gaze of the 19th century, as described by Baudelaire, when cultural capital was not just important, but I would argue a necessity to self-identity through lifestyle and consumption through the expose of fashion. The suit, if you will, allowed the man of the time to become what he was striving to achieve in social status and position. So in this case, we're talking about fashion equally performs your social position. Therefore, fashion wasn't just a reflection of your mood or your emotions of the day. It was very important for how you presented yourself within social standing. If you're interested in the history or men's suiting, I highly recommend Christopher Breward's book called The Suit. He does a fantastic job of describing the history and the nuance and the depth of what the suit means, impacting its construction of progressive modern style. So it's interesting when the tape measure was invented, in the early 19th century, it created this standardized measuring and cutting technique that allowed for even more perfection of customization. So Breward says the gentleman's suit is one of those overlooked but enduring symbols of modern civilization. So therefore, one can say a well-tailored suit is the foundation to dandy style for going back to the dandyism and the streetwear of the 19th century. Baudelaire. Considered the dandy as an integrated, intellectual, aristocratic genius. I like the way that sounds. Quote, integrated, intellectual, aristocratic genius. With the outward appearance, must correlate with his inner attitude of mind, with his consciousness and his perception of human beings within the world. Oh, that's really good. No wonder why Baudelaire became such a philosophical observer of the world at that time. Wow, that was that was really good. Going on with the suit, so what is the suit made of? What does it consist of? Well, it has a long-sleeved button jacket with lapels and pockets, a vest, long trousers made of matching cloth. And this comes from Chris Brewer's book where he describes what the suit entails. It's an assemblage of garments, not just one item. So these garments together make the suit and the suit is well crafted with a variety of cuts, fabrics, lining, buttons, pockets, trimmings, and various patterns. The bespoke suit is at the top and it, it is an aspirational luxury item in the men's fashion food chain. It's custom, it's individually measured for the clients, and it's handmade by a tailor, which is very interesting to note, Savile Row here in London, at least 52 man hours of work go into the production of a Savile Row bespoke suit. And that's according to Musgrave, who's another suit men's style aficionado. He has several different books worthy of exploration, talking about the style of the gentleman and the men's suit. If you are a fashion lover and you know the history of Alexander McQueen, then you know he was known for his cutting and his ability to be precise. But that was because Alexander McQueen or Lee McQueen had a Savile Row background. And had a tailoring background, so he had that innate skill level as a foundational element for construction of garments that was so beautiful. Anyway, going back to the suit, the tradition of the local tailor is not as common these days. So particularly over the past 100 years where styles have changed and what used to be rooted in social status and climbing and professions especially and wardrobes have become more laxed and relaxed. I remember working in advertising and there was memos set out regarding the new casual look of dress. And the new suit for men in a lot of professions became denim with a, a button-down shirt and a jacket. And they did that as a way to seem more approachable, to be more relatable, if you will, to people. But previously, before the shift in fashion, the suit was a very important part of a gentleman's wardrobe. So a man in a well-fitted suit holds social power. But he's also considered to be a man with taste, a man with style, and a respect for quality, a je ne sais quoi. This debate between the dandy and the suit was birthed out of the link between identity, class, and garish aesthetic. If we call it garish, it's a distinction of rebellion. It's like armor. So there's a lot of coded meanings behind the suit, what it means, and then the subversion of the underbelly of what it could mean in this dualistic, liminal sense of, as we know, the dichotomy that fashion holds. Dandyism can be defined according to an aesthetic that is a reflection of a lifestyle that holds position in society. This notion of power in society is clearly the foundation for dandyism. The dandy dresses as a way of expressing. They express their personality through a focus on quality, individuality, and good taste. A dandy is an exaggerated, almost camp form. It's a look that communicates that you belong to an elite group of insiders, and you have the knowledge, the money, and the cultural cachet to belong, while at the same time, you're able to maintain your individual identity. What a complex thought to think about you are showcasing your belonging whilst you're showcasing your individuality. That is the dynamic and the dichotomy right there. And that's what makes the dandy so interesting to think about and speculate and to evaluate. So the outward appearance of the dandy is a visual expression of power, charm, good taste, cleanliness, style, and social appeal. Back to our friend Baudelaire. He considers dandyism as the, quote, relentless pursuit of an aesthetic as almost a kind of spirituality, while others regard the dandy as bored, vapid slaves to style. Interesting. Back to the dichotomy. Yeah. From a pursuit of an aesthetic as a spiritual connection to a vapid slave to style. Well, I think that it's going to depend on the person that is the dandy, but that's my opinion. What is yours, I wonder? Oswald Boateng. B-O-A-T-E-N-G. Is that Boateng? He is a first-generation Ghanaian British tailor who owns a London Savile Row shop, and he once gave this advice to GQ magazine. He said... Oswald said, if your suit is not handmade, get the other elements really right. Make sure your shirt is pressed. It has the sharpness of line. It demonstrates that you really pay attention to the way you look. Style is about consistency and not having just one of those great days or great photographs. It's really... According to Oswald, this authentic pursuit of precision and excellence, which comes down to style. So the outward appearance of the dandy is a reflection of their internal desire to belong to an elite class of social social society, social society, darling, that provides access to a lifestyle of what is perceived as good taste rooted in culture so the outward reflection of this internal desire is communicated again through a visual style let's go back to our friend george simmel at the turn of the 20th century he said classes of individuals who demand constant change Classes and individual, individuals who demand constant change. Why is that? Because they rap, the, the rapidity of their development gives them advantage over others. Ooh, power play. Okay, George, what is he saying? Okay, so there's a power play over others. Oh, so within the fashion, something that keeps pace with their own soul movements. Okay. Social advantage above all is favorable to the rapid change of fashion for it capacitates lower classes so much for imitation of upper ones, and thus the process characterized above, according to which every higher set throws aside a fashion... Okay, this is very confusing. Let's rewind. Okay, this is from 1904, so you have to really think about what he was saying at the time and read it with clarity. Classes and individuals who demand constant change, all right, because the the rapidity of their development gives them advantage over others. So change and progress means advantage over others. So they find in fashion something that keeps pace with their own soul movements. So fashion is what he's saying is is part of this change, and it's a leverage, and it's a power play against other people. Okay, fashion is power. Social advantage, above all, is favorable to the rapid change of fashion. So, fashion equals social advantage. For it capacitates lower classes so much for imitation of upper ones, and thus the process or process characterizes above according to which every set... Okay, so what he said... <laughs> so, because people have a need to dominate others fashion is a reflection of that movement and change of growth and dominating and having social standing over others. And when people mirror, imitate the ones above them, that perpetuates the need for people to change and grow. And it's it's all about positioning and power playing. Oh, of course. Thank you, George Simmel. In essence, the subversion of the dandy, going back to the dandy, is achieved by emulation of a flamboyant aristocratic fashion style. So, this is the connection. If emulation is a form of chasing power and position, and there's this notion of classes uh, trying to outchase each other, then the dandy is a part of that. The dandy is a part of that aristocratic style that's mimicking the other class. However, it's done with this camp artificial exaggeration where it gives the illusion that the dandy has access to capital which is required for participation. However, through fashion, the dandy undermines the authority of the established Uh, in the upper class system by creating their own class, whereby wealth of cultural capital is more important than social standing, defined only by wealth of financial capital. So this becomes a, a battle of financial versus cultural capital. If dandyism is an exaggerated style, and it's not a mocking, but a domination over the the actual bourgeoisie in a way that it is a subversion and it's achieved at the expense of reaching beyond the traditional bounds of hegemonic masculinity and it's considered an artificial aesthetic rooted in the authenticity of the dandy which I guess the name of the game of street style has always been authenticity that is I think sort of the cultural challenge that we're faced with now of street style, if everyone is wearing street style, then uh, is it real? Or are you just now participating in a homogenized aesthetic where you uh, may or may not know the roots of where street style came from? And we know street style came from hip hop, hip hop came from the Bronx. Uh, So there you go. Okay, back to the dandy. So going back to the early dandies, hegemonic masculinity during the 17th and early 18th century was represented in a peacock style fashion that resembled women's clothes. Men at the time wore loose fitting garments, high heels, decorative ribbons, and long hair or wig styled in curls. After the French Revolution, Famous John Flugel called the shift in men's fashion the great male renunciation for which he is famous for. John Flugel described a more practical and restrained style of dress. This scaling down fashion trend continued with the industrial revolution in London, where the rise of social mobility was reflected in the working man's suit, so we had a shift in society. The United Kingdom is the birthplace of dandyism with George Beau Brummel, who again is famous for crediting himself and being known as the first dandy. As a top arbiter of style, Brummel was an unabashed social climber who relished in the style of conspicuous consumption. His fashion represented a new lifestyle that required body grooming rituals and new styles of clothing. Brummel became known as the legendary Regency era dandy who turned his back on the flamboyancy, be-ribboned men's fashion of the previous century and instead embraced perfectly tailored, neutrally colored pieces of luxury fabrics like linen and chamois leather. Brummel challenged the middle class style by Openly identifying with the bourgeois class through dress and creating a visual discourse of aristocracy, or <laughs> aristocracy—that sounds better. I think I kind of want to go with aristocracy. <laughs> aristocracy. Oh, that's funny. In the suit, Christopher Brewer describes Rummel's story as such. From the moment of his retirement from the military in 1798 to his exile to Normandy as a disgraced debtor in 1816, Brummel attained a position of great social power in the circle of the Prince Regent, refining his appearance, connections, and manners, and ensuring that they set the highest standards for taste for the London elites. Interesting. Interesting i i i wonder who the modern day brummel is Uh, i wonder if you know if you know tell me a host of sub dandy black movements were birthed by the united kingdom in the 1960s with a large influx of immigrants from countries in the caribbean and west africa of the most popular and largest of these groups was the rude boy subculture that came from the youth street culture in kingston jamaica If you also listen to Rihanna, she has a song called Rude Boy. Their fashion was influenced by the mid-20th century jazz musicians who were known to wear fine tailored suits. Today, Rude Boys come from all over. Jamaica, Grenadian, Nigerian, Ghanaian, even some with Parisian descent, and they're all known for their global street-style fashion influence. Other global black dandy subcultures include afro district the swankas and the lasap the lasap are perhaps some of the most popular dandies of the african and congolese uh, sapures so a sapure is a name that comes from the acronym sape s-a-p-e which stands for La société des ambianciers et des personnes élégantes. That sounded perfect. And the the sape or the sap, which I'm not sure which one it is. Somebody please correct me. Can be traced back to the French colonial influence. So here we go back to the colonialism and why we are talking about having a decolonialized understanding of history and so the popular dandy culture is known for their vivid color extravagant accessorizing extreme cut and bold uh, gestures the sepure's self-presentation are a proud rebuke to former exploitation and a confident assertion of aspirational style Uh, of ownership to the means of freedom. In Chris Brewer's The Suit, he talks about this whole dandified men of Brazzaville and Kinshasa, which is a substitute for the repressive French and Belgian imperialism with a counter to the imperialism with an eclectic celebration of equality through the symbolism of dress. So, this really special class of dandies known as the La Sapures, it's a lifestyle. Again, it going back to the notion of authenticity, there is a code. So, most of these members of the La Sapures come from working class. And it, what's interesting is that. They are known to spend a year's salary on well-tailored suits from Parisian designers. So you have these individuals often living in very humble abodes, even shacks, if you will. But the, within their, their very humble homes, you have very expensive clothing with Parisian labels. This notion of the peacocking elevates their lives above the squalor and the poverty, and they adopt to this safe ideology developed in the 80s and 90s after returning immigrants from Paris fueled this revival. So in conclusion... The dandy is an ideology, we can say, that represents subcultures and is played out in visual and material debate within historical and contemporary culture. The notion of breaking with tradition and being subversive can identify the dandy subculture that relishes in its good taste and refined aesthetic. Furthermore, it is a fashion aesthetic that reflects pride, self-worth, and defies, yet defines, hegemonic masculinity. This interesting duality of the dandy is a bespoke style that is a mix of tailoring and fashion that reflects refinement, whilst also demonstrates individual expression through outlandish aesthetic. you for listening to the unbiased label podcast if you've enjoyed the show then please connect with us on social media tell a friend and leave a review please tune in next time for more conversation on fashion and culture from a critical global perspective at the intersection of industry and academia until next time stay well